Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. Did you know that Motormouth is on Patreon? Yes, you can support your favourite podcast if you want. And in return, we've got some great goodies and bonus content to give you. Just search Motormouth Official on Patreon where there are three levels of membership. Become a Motormouth Companion for just £5 per month with our eternal thanks, early access to all podcasts, podcast episodes ad-free. If you fancy going for £7.50 per month and becoming a Motormouth associate, that means you can ask your own questions to our guests as well as enjoy ad-free early access to every single podcast. And if you're an absolute Motormouth legend and want to do £10 per month, you will get an official Motormouth baseball cap, a personal thank you on the actual show from us, and everything else, including ad-free early access and the opportunity to ask a question. Just search Motormouth Official on Patreon or follow the links in the detail of this podcast. Your support means everything to us and keeps us going, so thank you. Before we kick off with today's guest, we must tell you about our Season 5 sponsors and the great team over at Motus One. Sponsors are vital for our survival and ensure we can continue to bring you interviews with the biggest names in racing. So if you or your company require event transportation, Dana and his team at Motus One has you covered anywhere in the world. From a single chauffeur-driven sedan to a fleet of luxury SUVs, Teslas or motor coaches, find your transportation solution with Motus One. With offices worldwide, including the Middle East, Europe and Africa, they can support your transportation needs regardless of your location. Motus One is committed to world-class service at the best possible rates to ensure your event goes without a hitch. Contact them at motusone.com. We'll put all their social links in the podcast description And a massive thanks to Dana, their CEO and founder, for having faith in our show and joining us for season five. Now, on with today's episode. This week on the Motormouth podcast, we are privileged to be joined by the CEO of the brand new electric powerboat racing championship, E1 Series. Rodi Basso talks to us all about his new venture, teaming up with Alejandro Agag. And just a warning, things get philosophical. Honestly, we love these gearing up shows. You may not have heard of Rodi at the front line of motorsport, but he is one of the most interested, talented and knowledgeable characters we've had the privilege of chatting to. Thank you so much to you guys who continue to download and listen. If you like it, do leave us a review. It really helps us to get bigger and enjoy. Welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. My name's Tim Sylvie. As we continue our Gearing Up series where we take a departure from the likes of Weber, Crofty and Coulthard and we speak to people who are perhaps more behind the scenes but doing incredible or interesting things in motorsport and shine a light on them. However, before we introduce today's guest, I need to head to Essex to bring in my lofty partner in crime, Harry Benjamin. How are you doing? Hello, Tim. Tim Sylvie. Now, those who are watching uh, in video form on our app or YouTube will know that I'm in a different room today. So yes. it's all very exciting. I've moved out of my little recording cupboard. I've um, taken over the the, the office. Um, so if I sound a little bit different, that is the reason. Having some renovation done, but it's all very exciting. That no, sounds good. No, you sound beautiful as always, my good friend. Excellent. Um, now, listen, shall I introduce today's guest? Yeah, let's do it. So today we're speaking with Roddy Basso, an Italian businessman. Now, Roddy was the former director of motorsport at McLaren and is a graduate of aerospace engineering, so clearly far more intelligent than Harry and I put together. He was a consultant at NASA and has worked with the likes of Ferrari and Red Bull in Formula One. His CV is frankly ridiculous, but in a very good and impressive way. We're delighted to have him here because he's now the CEO of the E1 series, the world's first and only electric powerboat series. Roddy, welcome to the Motormouth podcast. (laughs) 
Hi everyone. Hi everyone. Thank you for the invite and uh, also for the very kind comments. Uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that also the, the ridiculous was in, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought I should clarify. It cheered me up. It cheered my morning up. Uh, uh, it's an absolute anyway, pleasure. It really is to, to have you on the show, Roddy. Um, so, well, first of all, how are you? And how 2020 has been? I suppose it's been a pretty good year for you. But in the grand scheme of things, how have you navigated this weird world we're currently living in? Well, uh, as you say, it's a very weird world. And of course, my, my first uh, thought is for uh, uh, all the people that have been suffering and have been hit very hard by this uh, virus. But not only the virus, it's also a matter of uh, uh, the organization uh, around all the countries. And there's not been, uh, let's say, flawless. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. again, the first thought is for these people. Then uh, I've been uh, uh, massively frustrated uh, by how much out of that all uh, the decision makers uh, uh, were in front of this uh, sudden drama. Uh, I really felt like saying, where are the adults, really? Mm -hmm. Where are the adults? So this told us a a few lessons. In the meantime, uh, honestly, I'm incredibly lucky as a person in general, but also this year for me has been very, very lucky. Uh, we spend just more time with my family, with my kids, which has been uh, a bless. I, I even think that I know them uh, even more than I uh, I knew them before the lockdown. In the meantime, you know, when you stop and have you, you have a lot of more thinking time, so your brain works in a lower frequency that's where the inspiration creativity kicks it kicks off and this is how e1 the e1 series uh, was born well yes yeah, so it, that's very exciting we are absolutely going to come on to that but first of all let's get to know a little bit more about you i want to go back 20 odd years or so to your nasa days working on you know satellite projects and now me and Tim have been obviously doing a little bit of snooping around and according to your linkedin um the implementation of a landsat 7 algorithm for the detection of specific objects in data now could you translate that and and <laughs> just also ha- like working at nasa is pretty cool it was. I mean, I was uh, only 20, 25 and uh, I went wow. there because my professor at the University of Naples uh, offered to all the students the chance to go and uh, develop the thesis project uh, elsewhere in the world. And I had, I've been offered with two options, the MIT or NASA. So, uh, I mean, I was 25 and I said, okay, let's, let's, at this point, let's try with, uh, with NASA. I was, of course, very lucky because at that time there, were, there, were no, there was no grant on everything. And my, uh, my parents managed to cover the expenses for the time that I needed. And then I've been uh, hired. I mean, I got a contract, a consultant contract with, with NASA after the thesis to develop, to, to continue develop the project. So what happened there? Uh, the topic was uh, about electronics. There was a new device, so a new electronic component, which was just declassified from the military use. So till that point, only military could use it. And I was one of the first to use these electronics, which was uh, special. And now actually it's a very common, it's called FPGA and all Formula One cars have uh, this kind of electronics. But the, the beauty of these electronics is that you can reprogram the hardware in order to always have the best possible hardware configuration for the task that he has to perform, okay? For the operation that he has to perform. And so that's very flexible because when you are on satellite, you know, my specific topic was detecting clouds 
out of the images of the micro and mini satellites. So, of course, when, this is optical application. When you are in the dark side of your orbit, you don't take picture, okay? And so in that time, you can use the same hardware, not just to hang there as a weight, but you can use it to reprogram and do something else. And then when you get, again, the light, you can focus on the specific application. So the Landsat 7, when I, I was at that stage, uh, so in 99 or something, was the most important satellite for Earth observation. So there was some algorithm that were running on ground about all the images that Landsat 7 was uh, taking and then sending down to the ground station. Now, this uh, electronic was so small that could be uh, placed on top of the satellite so you could optimize the images that you wanted to send down to the ground station or just cancel because they were not, uh, they were they just filter them because they were not uh, of interest for the investigators, for the scientists and all these sort of things. And this translates in less power to transmit uh, data down to uh, to the ground station. It translates into less weight, less cost and it's a, an optimization in general. Wow. So that was very, very uh, important for uh, the Earth observation missions. I think we, that's I, it. I, 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 totally. I've, I've taken notes. I think I understand what you just said. My mind is slightly blown, but seriously impressive. I mean, this is, uh, I, I can safely say you're the most intelligent person we've had on the podcast oh, on, so guys. far. But NASA. And, yeah, and, but I'm also the most humble. So please pace no, your own. We're going to make you get a big head by the end of this. Um, but NASA, um, the universe, space, satellites, is this a thing for? you is this an interest outside of work like were you when you were working there was this something that you were fascinated by and are you still interested in that world yeah massively well but I, if i may say everything that is uh, about exploration is something that really interests me and there is so much unknown about the space yeah. that i'm still very attracted i keep reading i keep i try to be always uh, uh, update and maybe a day you know when i will be when i will grow up i may i may go back in that field and and try to yeah. apply what i have learned uh in, again back into the space uh, environment but it is so fascinating you know and it's not only a matter of uh, engineering geeky and techy kind of uh, approach um i mean the space reminds us how how much we are passenger in this world how much we are just small entity. And so, my, so sometimes we make so much of a fuss about yeah. our little small drama in our life. Whereas if you unzoom a bit and you look at yeah. the wide, huge, bigger picture, which, guys, is infinite. Yeah. So it's just it's incredible. And it's mind-boggling. So it, it's, it, it gives you a different perspective. It, it really does. And we're all part of the universe, aren't we? I mean, we're, we are we are the universe. I can't remember who said that, but I, I was watching some... Oh, God, what so, a powerful oh, statement. No, but it's, it's true. <laughs> we are the universe. And I was watching yeah. this video the other day. With, uh, my five-year-old son is learning a bit about space. And, um, and I was watching this YouTube video that was explaining how we are connected fundamentally to the universe, but also the spaces. You know, you mentioned 
imagine peeling back and looking looking down on ourselves. And the universe is so ridiculously large, it's you cannot get your head around it. And when you start looking at the size of our planets, then our solar system, then the Milky Way, and then you zoom out further, it, it just makes my head melt. I turn into a puddle. Um, and I don't think any humans are capable, Roddy, of, of really understanding it yet, are we? Yeah, no, well, that's a very... Well, we are now going to like metaphysical and spiritual topics, which uh, I mean, we could speak for forty hours. Yeah, and yeah. I guess you will lose all the all the fans and followers, or maybe you will get more. <laughs> we'll actually, get some more. Yeah, this is yeah exactly... I think we've hit a whole new demographic with this. Yeah. But I'm oh, interested, yeah. actually. Oh, yeah. You're getting involved from such a young age, twenty five. Was this always what you wanted to do? This this sort of field. Uh, you mean the aerospace? Yeah. Well. Um, that's well. I was trying to look when I decided what university to pursue. And of course, you have. Uh, first of all, I had two options in my mind. One was uh, med- a medical doctor, become a medical doctor, because mm-hmm. my parent, my my father and my mother were two cardiologists, and so that's what I always heard in my in my during uh, lunchtime during my days. You know, it was very much part of the family. On the other side, I was trying to. Oh, I looked at the engineering. Uh, first of all, I, I thought that I could be on the market much earlier than a medical doctor because in Italy, but even everywhere, you need 10 years before really yeah. uh, work as a medical doctor. Um, whereas I, I was more like uh, I wanted to be on field, you know, and start practicing, have experience instead of being always studying and uh, and, mm. and being on the academic side. Um, so I went for the engineering and then of course engineering you can have uh, different verticals and I went for aerospace because there were not many people uh, looking at the aerospace it was a field that uh, you really have to either love or or hate or you need to really be passionate about uh, going to the extreme and um, some sort of uh, uh, elite kind of engineering you know Uh, we have so many Issues and problems on on, on 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 the on the planet that not many people are thinking about. Okay, what's what's outside there? Yeah. Um, and so I was fascinated. Maybe for my for the exploration bit. Let's put it mm. this way. So then, where has the motorsports passion come from? Because obviously, post NASA, you moved into a role with Ferrari. Uh, how did that opportunity show itself? And and was that a dream, or was it just a case of oh? Ferrari have come calling. I'll go with it. Well, of course, Ferrari was not calling, but I, I called Ferrari. So uh, as a young uh, Italian engineer, of course, you have Ferrari as uh, I mean, the perception. Everyone, you know, Ferrari is there, is the most important brand. And I was looking at Ferrari like uh, a an incredible opportunity, like a bit the MBA for business people. Let's call mm. it this way. So, you know what? You go there and you just learn the most complex and complicated application. If you do that, all the rest will be will be easier. And that's how it was, actually. That's how the story deployed itself. Um, so I wasn't passionate about racing at all. My first shock was to learn the driver's names of all the teams and recognize the helmets, which I, you know, talking in your podcast, this will uh, embarrass uh, or anyway will, will be very... Uh, strange to the ears of, of many uh, people who uh, listen to this podcast, uh, but I wasn't really. I have to say, I always uh, was passionate about sport, and this what really took me in the field, and this what is keeping me in the field. So today, I would say that what drives my 
motivation is the combination of sport and technology. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fascinating subject. Mm. And you were working with some impressive people uh, throughout your career in Formula One and motorsport, Ross uh, Braun being one of them. Were you you aware of him before you started working with him? And what was he like to to work alongside? Well, Ross is an incredible person. So I have to say um, the reason why he's an incredible person is because uh, of his vision, his capability of understanding uh, uh, what's happening understanding the people and uh, flow the energy towards the most important thing. So prioritizing what is important for the team, for the car, for the drivers and so forth. So, uh, you know, a bit like our brain, we are, the brain is split into one is one side is more creative and relational and the other side is more rational and technical, I would say. Um, Ross had the, the, or maybe this is uh, actually Jean Todd uh, merit of putting together Rory Byrne was completely on the rational and technical side and Ross was the, the guy who could oversee and really get the people, get good people work well together. So that's his secret. End of the story. No, emo- no emotional reaction, no big fuss about anything, no panic, but clear direction and get, let's get the people work together in a, in a good way. So the glue of the team. Um, I actually saw the opposite when I was in Red Bull, where uh, the team principle was, uh, well, somehow, actually, not the opposite. Uh, there was another combination, you know, or factor, but maybe uh, Ross has been seen like uh, the most important actor of, in Ferrari, the, the, the person in Ferrari. In Red Bull, there was Adrian Newey, but yeah. Adrian was playing the role of Rory, of Rory Byrne, whereas Christian uh, was uh, owner, yeah. was playing the, the role of the leader and the glue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what, what would you take away as a highlight from your time at Ferrari? You were there for, what, from, uh, five years? Five years. Five years. What, what, what can you pinpoint as the, the, the greatest moment for you while you were there? Yeah, well, the greatest moment for me personally, uh, for sure, the moment where I got the interview, where I walked, you know, with my grey suit like a banker, actually, nothing to do with the, <laughs> the motorsport world. But I was so young, I didn't know what to expect. And I went there, and uh, the, my, my, one of my interviews was in Fiorano, and there was Michael Schumacher driving. And so uh-huh. I, I walked past, you know, underneath the bridge between corner four and five, if I'm not mistaken. And there was Michael on it with a, a glorious V10, just, you know, uh, the days. driving on top of the bridge. And so I went there and then I got the interview and then I say, sorry, but may I ask you who's driving? And, and, and the guy who interviewed me was uh, the responsible for the testing said, he's Michael. So, and, and, I, and I say, okay, I'd better <laughs> get this job because I can tell you that the emotion that I could feel by the environment, and uh, I don't know if you've ever been in Fiorano, but whoever is going to be, who has been in Fiorano, you can see everything. You can see mm. the history, the house of Enzo Ferrari. You can see the future, very futuristic car and all the application, the organization, everything is just spot on, even the grass around the track, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, it's spectacular. So that was a, yeah. a, a very great moment. If I may, uh, I will have also the qualifying in Japan with uh, Rubens Barrichello. And uh, Japan was uh, always been a very difficult track uh, for uh, Rubens. Uh, and one of the reasons was that he was uh, braking with the right foot. So he had to switch pedal. Uh, and so together with the race engineer and uh, Rubens and myself, we worked together in trying to understand how to improve that. And so we got to the point that Rubens was... Uh, 
braking with the left foot or the right foot, depending on the corner. And by doing this, he was getting the best out of each corner in the braking area. Mm. And uh, there was an incredible moment where you have, let's say, the top of the game of the human-machine interaction, which is something that fascinates me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then after five years, you you switched um, and started working with the likes of David Coulthard um, over at the what was then, uh, so this is 2005, uh, the new works Red Bull team after them being a sponsor in Formula One for some time. How did that come about? And, and what was it like working with DC, a, a guy we know a little bit? We've had him on the show. Yeah, so... Uh, After five years in Ferrari, I was uh, very curious to know if other teams were looking at the car and the same application from a different perspective. And this is exactly what I found when I went to Red Bull. Of course, I was incredibly pleased and lucky again to to, uh, meet with uh, Adrian Newey, who had a a completely different philosophy on how to design and run the car at the track. So I have to say, when I went to Ferrari, they... It was a, the good moment where they, I mean, altogether we won five championships in a row and it was a, an incredible time like Mercedes today. Uh, whereas when I went to Red Bull, everything has to be built almost from scratch. Yeah. So in terms of organization, process, uh, uh, every single detail. So I, again, it was great to have been first in Ferrari and then Red Bull because at least I had a very good benchmark yeah. about not only the technical side, but also team, how to interact with people, how to select the best people and, and so forth. Um, in the meantime, was a was really shocking. I mean, it was a hell of a difference in terms of budget, in terms of... Uh, many aspects the car was not very strong but then i learned so much from red bull i'm i'm incredibly pleased to have had this that experience because this is where you know when you go there on sunday you're always p13 p14 or 15 14 i mean all that kind of average to the the backfield is so can be so frustrating, but then that's where you learn, or at least where I learn, what competition and performance is. Because every time you think about competition and performance in people's mind, you always have in your in your uh, I mean, uh, in, you can have in your head uh, like a, a like a some nasty bastard who can who could kill in order to succeed. Well, that's not the case. I mean, this is what I learned in those days. Competition and performance, being competitive means trying to improve one millimeter at a time every day. And so this is the journey that I, we have started. When I switched that mind, for me, it was a completely different day. And when we got to the first podium in Monaco in 2006, with DC, by the way, who's a, an idol, he's a guru of Monaco because he could make some lines that nobody else was uh, able to do, to make. <clears throat> that when there was an incredible satisfaction comparable with the five championships that I see winning in in Ferrari. Yeah, and and Adrian Newey, who is wildly uh, widely regarded as uh, a big brain in in motorsport, how good was he? How smart and intelligent is that man? Is he is he genius level? Yeah, he's genius level. I believe he's completely genius level because. You can see that, um, well, when he, he looks at the car with a completely different perspective uh, and uh, he, he, he's got the, he's very, he's a very, very brave designer who can challenge his own paradigm, okay, 
so incredibly creative and uh, he's uh, also an incredible gentleman and team leader when he recognized to have taken a wrong route and then he can stand up and apologize with all the team for working hard all night in order to you know assemble the car and put wrong uh, components on the car because they were not working. So I have to say an impressive person and I I could see some fine line and some uh, uh, commonalities with Rory Byrne as well. He's the same kind of people. Humble, open, challenge the paradigm and innovative. Always innovative. I remember when Rory showed up a day in a race debrief and they say, we are trying, guys, we need to reduce by 50 grams the weight of the hubs, you know, the four corners mm-hmm. around the car, yeah. 50 grams. So, you know, details, but at least clear direction. Yeah, yeah. And, well, um, uh, well it, it's clear that you're, you've obviously worked with some, you know, obviously top flight people and, and that influence, that must have influenced you as well going forward and, and your passion for mixing sports and pushing of technology. Where does the... Or where did the sustainable racing sport aspect come in and pushing for electric mobility? When did that first sort of start to show itself to you as something that you could uh, invest yourself into? Yeah. So I would say, as I mentioned uh, earlier, I'm passionate about sports and technology. And uh, the two fields might be completely self self-referential and useless if they don't look at the outside need. So we go back to our space conversation. There is a world out there. You cannot close yourself in a paddock in, on, on a track and just go for your own way, disregarding what the fans are looking for, what the world needs, what the manufacturer needs, and so forth. So let's face it, we can see it every day uh, climate change is something that is happening we cannot afford anymore to use some form of transportation to live like we used to live 20 30 years ago we need a change and sports and technology has to take the chance to be the platform to develop ideas and solutions for the outside world and um, this is actually the phase where i'm in now so you know after sports and technology I need to add the word useful. So it has to be something meaningful, responsible, and looking at what is needed out there and contribute in some aspects at least, because of course you cannot fix the whole thing. It's such a big, big uh, topic that needs to have uh, uh, the contribution for many fields, but the sport can definitely do something. And in fact, Formula One reduced by 50% the use of fuel, of course, it's not the cleaner championship you, you may dream of, but 50% is yeah. a, a big number with a two slash three years development, which is nothing compared to the problem we have. So that was already a big message. Formula E managed to get after two, three years with a single battery. And I was a, a part of this project, of course, when I was in McLaren. And now Formula E is a, something that can work, you know, with a certain standing and uh, is uh, today the most interesting uh, startup, let me let me call it, 
because it's not a startup anymore, uh, about motorsport and not only. So yeah. it's a fascinating story. It is a fascinating mm-hmm. thing. And, and and some of the guys in, in Formula E are doing a terrific job of, of reducing their carbon footprint and, and EVR and Vision Virgin Racing have just been certified as, as carbon neutral, um, uh, sort of touting themselves as the, the greenest car on the greenest grid, um, which, which is very impressive. And Formula One, um, I noticed today, uh, we're, uh, the release date of this podcast will be in the future. So this is an, an old comment now, but I noticed on their Formula One Twitter um, a couple of days ago, they were talking about their sort of sustainable goals and their their uh, their targets in terms of um, decarbonisation or reducing their carbon footprint. Where, where does Formula One sit in all of this? Is Formula One in danger here? You know, people often say, well, it's all very well reducing your carbon footprint, Formula One, but you're still flying in airplanes all around the world. You're still, you know, burning fossil fuels left, right and centre. Where does Formula One sit in the future of motorsport in this new sustainable green world that we're moving into? Well, when we talk about future, I always think of, uh, let's say, the generation from maybe 10 to 20 years, because they are the future. They are the future fans of the sport. They are the future consumer buying or anyway using form of of, uh, transportation. And so Formula One, um, well, first of all, there are two main topics. One is all the sports are struggling, okay, because there are so many forms of entertainment and the social channels are one of those that, of course, the young, especially the younger generation can easily get um, more interest out of different forms of entertainment. Let's call it this way. They call it the industry of distraction. And uh, I don't know if you saw the the movie Social Dilemma, which is something that I strongly suggest. And uh, there are these mechanisms that we need to learn and understand in order to get the attention, let's say. Uh, On the other side, the the, the real struggle with all the forms of uh, entertainment or uh, mobility related to the thermal engine are, of course, uh, limited in time because they the clock is going i'm, I'm sure you have uh, noticed uh, uh, boris johnson's announcement about the 2030 yep. uh, on diesel and petrol um i can tell you so many other statistics you know porsche a very established uh, brand and petrol brand but now the Taycan is uh, one of the most sold um vehicle and nobody's saying because there's no interest about this. Nobody's yeah. saying that the weight is almost the double of a normal, of an equivalent sport car with petrol. So as you can see, the mindset of people has completely changed because there is a strong need coming in. And to go back to your question, Formula One definitely needs to have a, a strong evolution in the next 10 years in order to keep the uh, position of the most important motorsport Uh, A quick interruption of the show to remind you to check out our Season 5 podcast sponsors, Motus One, the event transportation company. Motus One is the industry leader in complex transportation management. From hospitality, talent, production crews, VIPs and artist transportation, Motus One's team have you covered. They've also just launched their leading edge cloud-based event transportation management system, Motus Ride. Now you can manage your entire event transport program digitally, making bookings, allocate rides, create approval processes, see reports, track costs and loads more. 
Head over to MotusOne.com and hear how they can support your event transportation needs. So, NASA, Formula One, Formula E as well, spending time with McLaren, working on, on the batteries. And then we arrive at, in a, in a more simple form, we arrive at the brand new E1 series. So, first of all, talk us through exactly what E1 is and where this idea sprang from. So, f- E1 series is the only electric powerboat championship. Uh, we have an exclusive license for 25 years. Uh, we Smart. convinced the Federation UIM uh, in order to get this exclusive license on any form of electric powerboat championship. Um, we are trying to make something difficult here because we are trying to define a, a, a new sport. So we are not necessarily only a motonautic entertainment uh, event, but we are trying to be the, um, the the merging point of at least three different sports and technologies, motonautic, motorsport, and sailing. And the reason why we do this is that we, uh, when I say we, of course, I always uh, think of my uh, business partner who is uh, Alejandro Agag, um, we are trying to accelerate the marine industry and the adoption of the electrification by introducing all the lessons learned by a sport perspective and a technology perspective into this new entity called E1 Series. So what I'm doing in these days is selecting the development partners in order to build this wow um, powerboat that we have shown at the launch on the 25th of September in Monday in Monaco, and uh, I'm selecting these partners from all these different fields. Propulsion electronics from uh, automotive, high-end, and motorsport. Of course, the powerboat itself has uh, the naval architecture and architecture and CFD and everything coming from uh, engineering, uh, from uh, naval engineering, and uh, um, the foil concept coming from sailing, okay? Uh, and of course, the exercise will be redesign the boat in order to be as efficient as possible and uh, to be exciting to drive in order to generate a, uh, a an entertainment sport. And mm. it, we've obviously got a lot of this cropping up and, and Alejandro is very involved in many of them, Formula E, Extreme E and, and now this. Um, is it going to follow Extreme E in the sense of the calendar? Have you already earmarked places where this is going to go? Is it going to follow that series around? Well, we have two categories of races. One is in the classic hosting ports. So Monaco is already one of those. Uh, and then we are targeting cities like London, like uh, Barcelona, these sort of things. Okay, in the beginning, maybe on this side of the world, but of course we are we will be open, and there are already some conversation for uh, uh, in Asia and and more into. So are we are we going to see this on the Thames? L- likely, I mean, wow. that, that's the target. That would be target. cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, the other category of of racing is with uh, Extreme. So we will have a set of power boats on the in the Santa Elena, yep. which is the huge uh, boat bringing the, this floating paddock, bringing this SUV around the world, and it will also bring the boat. And we are targeting to go around the world with this uh, with Santa Elena and race race in places like Greenland, New York, Miami, Amazon, possibly Cape Town, and then Middle East. So cool. So a total of 
10 races to start with and uh, hopefully increasing with the time. And was there, when, going back a step, when when you were looking at, uh, when, when you or Alejandro or both of you were looking at Extreme E, was there this plan to diverge these two series or has E1 come later and, and you've thought, oh, now here's an opportunity to bring the two together or was it always the plan that there would be these two series, um, you know, sharing St. Helena and so on? Well, that was part of our brainstorming during uh, the lockdown, actually. While we were working uh, working uh, close to Thames uh, in, in Richmond and Barnes, uh, we started, uh, you know, uh, discussing the format. I proposed in this format and the way the races, the races should have been deployed. And then, of course, Alejandro came with all these uh, ideas coming from his experience and, uh, and, and possibilities. Uh, and one of these was saying, we should associate this championship also with extreme because there is an element in common which is the adventurous and uh, you know and the idea the adventurous side and the idea of racing in in places where the climate change is clearly uh, noticeable so raise awareness about how important it is to know more about the water conditions and how exactly will these races work what's the format for the actual race itself yeah so First of all, we'll show up, uh, let's let's consider uh, a hosting port. So one important element is we will show up and uh, build an infrastructure and charging points, which we will leave when the race will be done. So okay. we, this is our legacy and positive impact that we want to leave into the port. So you know that in automotive, this is one of the examples of, of technology and business transfer. In, in automotive, one of the main com- source of complaint was the lack of uh, infrastructure and charging point in order to let uh, people buy electric cars. So we want to start from that point, fix it, so that and the more races we will go, the more these charging points will be available for uh, any sort of boat in the future. Then we uh, we have, of course, our old paddock and classic uh, motorsport uh, entertainment, on-site entertainment. I uh, would like to say that one of the key points of our championship will be the city event. So we will be as close as possible to the coast so the, the people can actually watch very closely this, uh, this powerboat. And we will have a, also a... Uh, we are now still deciding the, the name of this, but at the moment we call it like the Blue Festival. I give you this uh, confidential <laughs> kind of uh, branding exercise. Uh, but anyway, a, a chance for uh, all the possible players, including and possibly especially startups, who can showcase how they contribute to electric mobility, to water exploration and water healing technology. Mm -hmm. Um, So having said that, which is the context, and this is a very important point of our our proposition, the race will be based on what the electrification can allow us. So of course, as we know, the range is not infinite. And by the way, this is not a problem. You know, people keep banging on this uh, range and anxiety and all these sort of things. But who is today? This is actually one of the issues with Formula One. Today, people don't want to watch two hours event, three hours events. Look at cricket. Even cricket, which is one of the most traditional sports, have decided to do something a bit more sprint in order to get the younger interested and, and, and play for the future. So we will have events that are very 
uh, snappy. You know, the events that are very short, within 40 minutes, you'll have two free practice on Friday, uh, and then a shakedown and um, qualifying and race on Saturday. Uh, the idea uh, for the qualifying is pretty standard. So the bo power boats will be uh, on, a, on a field which will be emphasizing the maneuverability and change of direction more than the straight line. You know, mm -hmm. in my own town where I come from, uh, Naples, uh, in Italy, we always say we are all driver on straight. You know, <laughs> and that's the easy bit. But where you make yeah. the difference is in, in, the, in the corners. You know, there are so many funny stories about it. But anyway, um, and so we want to emphasize the, 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 we call it pilot because this thing, the power boat is almost flying on this foiler. Uh, so we want to emphasize their endeavors, their capability of driving very difficult boat also by a calibration standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, maximum speed, 50 knots. Um, and uh, in, then when we will go to the, to the race, it will be a knockout kind of format like tennis, maybe if make an example, quarter, semi-final and finals. And so we will test the uh, the pilots and team's skills around these uh, kind of fields. So exciting. So exciting. And and what's the what would you say is the main objective of the series? I mean, you, you look at Formula E and the technology they're developing in Formula E with the batteries has this trickle down into our everyday lives with road cars. You know, it's it, we're learning things from sport. What's that trickle down look like in E1? Is there a trickle down and where does it end up? Like, is this technology that you're going to develop and, and enhance going to end up in everyday life? Absolutely, yes, because the startup that is... Uh guiding the development of the of the power boat uh, is called seabird uh, technologies and uh, i also uh, covering the role of cto chief technology officer of that startup and the main the first idea this is a startup where alejandro has invested and this is where we combine the ideas of the championship and the startup so the main goal of this startup is to build similar boats but for six people and the target is leisure boats. So having the chance, you know, like Zipcar kind of business yep. model. You have okay. an app where you, you are in Barcelona for a business reason. You have two hours spare. You don't know what to do. You pick, get a boat, go around for a bit, relax, have fun, come back. Thank you very much. Flawless, easy, no hustle in terms of maintenance and having to deal with all the the boating, you know, I heard there's a joke in English saying that there are two days that you enjoy when uh, around the, uh, having a, a boat, when you buy it, when you sell it. So we want to, you know, <laughs> somehow uh, just re relieve people from all the pain and, and enjoy the waters. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> and I suppose if, that, if that's the, the long-term goal of the series, the, the immediate goal, I suppose, is also you're looking about for, for races, for pilots, for, for, these, for these boats. Now, so who, where are you looking? How, how are you getting people involved in, in actually taking part in the racing? So um, this is a, a key point, of course. And uh, our priority in this moment is uh, focusing on... Uh, Two, on two uh, items, let's say, two topics. One is developing the power boat. Because as soon as we will show, and the target is uh, show a, a power boat in June of next year during the World Ocean Day declared by uh, the UN, okay? As soon as you will see this, you will see that more and more teams will jump on board because, of course, the pilots wants to see something that is uh, 
engineered. Okay, mm. it's, it's not only a concept, a fascinating concept, but still a concept. On the other side, we are working hard on uh, the cities. So we are engaging conversation uh, internationally in order to get the city. So as soon as you have the format of the race, the cities, and you can show a powerboat, and in uh, August the powerboat will be test the testing campaign. So it will be on the water. You, uh, that's where the teams uh, will get more momentum and more interest. In the meantime, we are approached by, uh, this is very interesting because the first two, three approaches that we had was from motorsport. So it was from a, a extremely team because of course, since you're there, you may even may as well. pilot and go. <laughs> yeah. Have a, have a, have a swim. And, uh, <laughs> and, and also IndyCar, an IndyCar ah. team asked for information. So, um, you know, for me, this is key because these mm. worlds, sailing, motonautic and, and motorsport somehow are very fragmented. Let's get Formula One aside for a moment. There is, uh, of course, something built in 70 years of successes. But all the rest is very fragmented. If we can find in E1 series the, the place where all these different culture and passion can join together for a new form of entertainment, it will be a, an incredible success. Yeah, it's, it's so cool. Where are we going to be able to watch this? Where is it going to be broadcast? Has that been established yet? So uh, not established yet in terms of uh, specific channels, uh, but of course we will uh, have live, uh, this will be a live event and it will embed all uh, the possible uh, digital uh, media as well. So including uh, social channels, uh, mm. the YouTube of this world. We are, I am very keen while selecting these development partners in uh, assigning, in finding the right partner for what I call the technology for entertainment. So there will be a dedicated electronic system on the powerboat only focused on entertainment. And we need to excite the senses that deserve more attention, like the sound. You know, I, I envisage the, the fan to be able to tune how much they want to hear about the water or how much they want to hear about the, the motor wow. or any other, other things, you know. So very interactive and being the, the, the director of your own show. Because just let me say this because it's quite important. All this mess starts from a very specific spark. Uh, um, I, I like to go sailing, you know, I, I adore sailing. And the, the most beautiful moment when you sail is when you switch, you get out of the harbor and you switch off the engine. You get into complete silence and you, are, you have an incredible feeling of being immersed in, in, na in the nature. And if you want, we can say even in the universe. So it's a, an incredible mindset, mindset switch, at least for me. So I thought, how can we bring this into a into motonautic, into a more into a faster and uh, something that is more related to traction, mobility, and all these other sort of things? And this is how everything has been started. So that's why I'm, I'm interested in exciting all the possible sensors that will miss the vibration of a V10 engine yeah. or V8 or whatever. Mm. Can, can I suppose that also you don't have that something like. Formula E had where all the people, you know, direct comparison with Formula One and people going on about the sound of the engine and how it's not real racing, blah, blah, blah. That's you know, I suppose you don't really have, yeah, exactly. You don't really have that with, with, with sailing. Cause well, no, well, not with sailing, but with motor you can. I mean, there are, yeah. 
you know, brands like uh, cigarette, I don't know if you know cigarette cup or yeah. C1, P1. They are, I mean, you can hear them. Oh, yeah, really? Wow. Miles and, yeah. And, and of course, there could be a comparison. But again, as per formula, we know that this is the direction of, mm. of the human beings. It's not only a something you can you can pick and choose. This is the direction, and we cannot. Um, I mean, of course. I mean, I'm a, an older generation with a bit of a grey beard as well, <laughs> and um, for sure, I still enjoy when I hear uh, the noise of a, of a of an incredible engine that's been designed in the in the last twenty to thirty years or even earlier. But we cannot afford it. So yeah. we need to find enjoyment because I want to keep enjoying life and the sports. But we need to find a way to uh, generate this from other sources. Yeah, yeah. Now, now Roddy, we, we're not going to take up too much more of your time. I've got one more question for you before we move into our final three. Um, yeah. Powerboat racing, historically, um, and there are many forms of it, as you say, and I remember watching it once um, off the coast. I think it was Abu Dhabi or Dubai, I can't remember. And it was impressive, but it was a long way out. And I think powerboat racing, historically, has struggled to appeal to the masses. Is this something that you want to appeal to the masses? Is this going mass audience, or are you going to try and you know keep it quite niche? Um, well, of course... I think this is uh, something we really don't have choice because because uh, the main KPI for a promoter uh, is to have as many people as possible so that you can, uh, of course, attract sponsors, cities, uh, uh, the, the teams, and all these sort of things. So we want to, um, since one of our goal is to raise the awareness on the water condition, how much we have to spend more attention, the more, the bigger the reach, the better. Yeah. So how are we going to plan to do this? Of course, as you very correctly say, Motonautic was, uh, uh, had a peak of uh, success and, uh, and reach uh, before 2000, I would say, between 90, the 90s and 2000. And, uh, and then it declined uh, uh, slowly but quite firmly. So again, we point at two main aspects to address this point. One is we are especially a seat event. So race is an excuse to deliver some other messages yeah. and to offer different opportunities. The events that I've described, the technology and the electrification of the marine industry, the fun while following an exciting uh, and interactive uh, event and all these sort of things. So this is one thing. So the city event itself and uh, on the other side, we uh, so the city event is, is very important. And on the other side, again, I believe that having uh, a product vision, so a very a very clear uh, target around the race event, will help in credibility and. Uh, in justifying the reason to be. Yeah. Let's, and, let's and, put it this way. And, and having that sustainable message is so important now. You know, you, I was talking to a guy, um, I won't mention who they are, but it was a, it was a Formula E team who are um, hoping to produce a podcast. And uh, they were talking to Spotify about, um, you know, just the, the podcast industry at large and how motorsport fits into that. And, and Spotify were saying to this team that um, people, that the sell for them is the sustainability part, not the motorsport. They're like, Formula One can come knocking, 
but that's a hard sell for us as Spotify. If they have if Formula E come knocking or a Formula E team with that sustainable message, that is an easy sell for Spotify. It's fascinating. So, so that, that sustainable message coupled with having an event in the middle of a city where people can walk out their front door and be watching a, a boat race in minutes is um, is hopefully going to help. Now, now listen, um, we've got three final questions for you. We ask the same three questions to all our guests, regardless of what field they come from. Um, it always throws up various uh, answers. Um, Harry, do you want to kick off yeah absolutely now um, i could predict this answer but hey it always throws in a surprise roddy what's got you excited at the moment well it can it can be this very moment or something more long term (laughs) yeah no i have to say of course as a humanity we are living a very strange moment and um what gets me excited is that, of course, understanding the opportunity behind this uh, very difficult moment for many people, but in general for all of us, because it is difficult. And what gets me excited is that this is a very intellectual and intellective moment where you have to concentrate on uh, the cre- creativity side of your personality and uh, see how to contribute to, contribute to make a uh, a better world after after that for yourself, for your family, but possibly also for a broader uh, target, I would say. So I enjoy the idea of, you know, when I was, I remember when I was uh, living in Milan, in Italy, uh, it is a very rare event that is nosy Milan. Milan is a very active, it's a mini New York, it's a very hectic city and people go head down and run. But when it was snowing, of course, you couldn't take the car and everything slowed down and you really have the moment to say, okay, where am I going, where I want to go? So this is an incredible opportunity for all of us. Yeah, great answer. Love that. Yeah. Um, if if not doing what you're doing, i.e. being a businessman, entrepreneurial, starting new businesses, championships and so on, what would you be doing? What would Roddy Basso have done had you not taken this path? Uh, that's uh, well. I would say that I am a frustrated non-sportman. So honestly, I would have loved to be to have had a um, more of a to, uh, like being an athlete on something. You know, uh, I've been playing. I've been uh, practicing uh, some sports uh, in my life. Where, uh, of course, up to twenty years old, I was uh, also in uh, competitive and racing. I was. Uh, I was doing uh, uh, horse riding for many years, again, for the contact to the nature and sailing. And then, of course, with friends, football, but there was very more, very much amateurial. But maybe I would have loved to be a, an athlete uh, like either in horse riding or in sailing. Very cool. So that, that could have been an option. And before before Harry come on, comes on to the last question, um, have you got any now, have you got any talents or any any? Anything that people don't know about that you're particularly good at, whether it be sort of cooking or playing an instrument, or what's 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 your thing? Well, first of all, I'm very good cook, very competitive, right. Ita- Italian. I mean, come on. That's the only. That's the only reason for uh, uh, bloody fights with my wife. You know, literally, <laughs> we we need to buy plastic knives uh, in order to get it. <laughs> The marriage going. Um, so cooking is uh, for sure something uh, on a more high level. I think I'm very intuitive. So, you know, I got mm-hmm. some level of perception of uh, some looking beyond the evidence. Yep. There is uh, something I'm pretty 
hanging on yeah. for my living. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. You, you know, making judgment calls and making sure they, they yeah. deliver. Um, Harry, over to you for the final question. Yeah, Roddy, what are you scared of? Um, well, one thing I'm, I'm very scared of is the combination of incompetence and uh, arrogance. Oh. I'm right. very scared of this. I'm very scared of this. And uh, again, as we started our podcast, uh, I think uh, this COVID is uh, really highlighting where uh, how many how many people are out of, of their depths yeah. these days. Massive in every single field. And what, I think we need to make the effort to understand what went wrong in the last 30 years. What really went wrong? And I have to say, the, the, you know, I hate when people always judge and uh, criticize the younger generation, saying you are agnostic, you, are, you don't get interested, you don't vote, you don't do this, you don't do that. Well, there is a denial, which I think is justified. And we need to understand the denial from the younger people about TV, about the, the classic channels and the way we were living 20, 30 years ago, because this denial is to say, guys, sorry, thank you very much for getting me on the, in this world, but I don't like the rules. It doesn't work anymore. So, you know, let's find another way to 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 go to the next, to the future. Yeah. Basically. yeah. So combining arrogance and, uh, and, uh, in, and incompetence in these days, I think is the real virus we have to find the vaccine great answer and it goes back to the beginning of the 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 show where we were talking about the universe i'm going to come back to it again we're all part of the universe harry we've all we're all part of it no no i'm actually as philosophical as i'm fully with you you have this amazing sort of 360 approach not just to obviously e1 but to your life it seems and and that that can only mean something we can all aspire to but that can only serve you well going forward yeah yeah 100 yeah well to dessert the dinner tonight i have to to say, but because I really believe it, is uh, uh, I have the secret weapon that is uh, my wife. <laughs> because she's uh, an incredible person. She's a life coach and psychotherapist. And actually, the she has been she has a methodology which is called global evolution, and it is exactly about that. You know, in business, I realized that in the end, business is relationship. Okay, with yourself and with the others. So there's nothing about business in business. Okay, there's nothing about technical. There's nothing about technology. Is really understanding yourself and the people around you, and having this holistic approach. Uh, Harry has mentioned. So uh, again, let's not forget we are human being, and uh, we need to tr- just to try to do our best to to be the better version of ourselves tomorrow. Very good. I think you need your own podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you need, and your wife should need, set your own podcast up. We should make us a, do brilliantly. We should make us a regular feature. Um, yeah. Listen, Roddy, yeah. thank you for joining us and taking time out of your, your very hectic and busy schedule. Really, really fascinating talking to you and hearing your, your career and your thoughts and obviously about um, the, new, the new E1 series. We're hugely excited about that. Cannot wait to see one of those machines going down the Thames. I really hope yeah. that happens and comes to fruition. Best of luck with it all. Um, regards to everyone in the business. Hope it all goes well and we'll catch you in a paddock soon. Thank you. Thank you very much and very well done with this podcast and uh, the tone of the conversation and everything. Uh, all the best for your future as uh, Ross Brown was used to tell us. Uh, 
never give up. No more lari mai. Before you hop off, one final reminder to check out the guys and girls at Motus One, your new transportation solution for minor, mega and signature events anywhere in the world. Motus One simplifies the complex process of event transportation and provides clients with unrivaled service and support to ensure your event's transportation needs are fulfilled. Check them out today at motusone.com and if you tell them you found them through the Motormouth podcast, you'll get up to 20% off your first booking. Now, doesn't that sound good? Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review and until next time, you'll be listening to the Motormouth podcast.